Good morning, church. It is good to be with you all this morning. Hey, Jim. Good. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Jim. Okay, thanks, Jim. All right. Um, yes, today is my birthday. Thank you guys so much for joining me on my birthday to hang out with me um, this morning. Um, I'm thankful to be here. I'm thankful to be uh, seeing you guys. I'm thankful uh, that we can worship and sing songs and worship our God together to be in community, um, to see your faces, uh, and, and to be able to yeah, be at home. Um, and so I, I'm so thankful. I'm so glad that we are gathered here this morning. Um, we are currently, uh, we just started our sermon series in the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews is, is writing to an audience that is really struggling. And how appropriate is it for us as a church, a community, a society, a world that has really struggled this past year. We really struggled. I don't know how you guys have experienced the pandemic this past year. Um, but for me, this uh, is, as we talked about it in, the, in, the, in our staff meetings, our senior pastor, Pastor Brian, he actually said this to us as a staff. Um, out of 30 plus years of ministry, this past year for him has been the hardest. Has been the hardest. Uh, and if you think about it, 30 years of experience, that should really prepare you for almost anything in ministry. Um, I don't know if you've been working for over 30 years. I don't even, most of our high school students are nowhere close. You're thinking 30 is old. And yes, I can, I can account to that. Yeah, I do feel old. Um, but all of the things that we've experienced in our life point, our life up until this point, has not really prepared us for this past year. Um, and that's exactly what the church was experienced when the writer of Hebrews was writing to uh, the Christians then. When I was in seminary, uh, I, uh, I was studying with, for a degree. Um, now, those of you in college, you guys know that you guys are going to a, most of you are going to a four-year plan. Um, what that means basically is you will take a certain number of classes and you should, not that you will, but you should graduate in four years. And so in seminary, in a master's degree, normally what happens is depending on what master's program or doctorate program you're going into, it's anywhere from two to, um, if, I guess if you're a doctor, forever years, okay? Um, and so I was in seminary and I decided to, to get the hardest degree that was available to me um, at Dallas Theological Seminary, which is called the THM. Now, if, if those of you who know, it's just, it's just a lot of classes. Um, DTS is very academic, and they're uh, super, um, I don't want to say aggressive, but they really want you to take the, the original language, which, which are Hebrew and Greek. Now, I remember almost failing out of sixth grade Chinese school, okay? So... You can imagine how much I struggled with these other languages, such as Greek and Hebrew. And I remember getting through halfway, halfway through Greek and Hebrew, halfway through my degree plan. So this, the THM is 120 hours, a master's degree program. And I got to about 60 hours, and then I decided that it was too hard. I said, um, this degree, I, I, I can't take any more Hebrew. I don't understand any Greek. Um, I need to switch. And so I told my dad, and I said, Dad, um, I, I think I want to switch majors. 
this is really hard. Can I go and get something that's a little bit easier, that's really, um, you know, uh, something that's better for me, better suited for me. And then this is what my dad said to me. And I, I just remember this conversation very distinctly. This is what he said. He said, um, son, let me tell you something really important. You have never experienced anything hard in your life. And now you want to quit. Um, I thought about that for a really long time. I don't know if, um, you know, I have, we have a bunch of uh, college students and high school students in here. If anybody told you that everything in your life you've experienced, you've never experienced any sort of hardship. Now, on one hand, that, that's very true. On the other hand, I felt like I was, I, I felt very uh, insulted. I, last week we talked about taking things personally. This is part of that as well, okay. Um, never experienced any hardship in your life. Now think about this for a second. As Christians growing up here in Fort Bend County, Missouri City, Sugar Land, wherever you're living, have you and I really experienced the hardship that maybe Christians across the world, Christians in China, Christians in the Middle East, have we ever experienced something like that? Now not to say that our own experiences don't count for anything. Life is hard. I, I can tell you I, the, the, my own family experiences, I can say that things have been difficult. Um, and I would argue, and I would die on that hill, and I would argue with you saying that my life has actually been hard to a certain degree. Okay, everything is relative, right? What the writer of Hebrews is telling us here is when it comes to trials and tribulations, it is most important for us as Christians to remember who Jesus is. Who Jesus is in the midst of these things. This past year, for all of us, have been difficult. Some of us have wandered away from our faith. Some of us have, um, have gotten incredible doubts, uh, either because of what we've seen on the internet, because of the political landscape, because of whatever is going on in our world. Some of us have really doubted our faith. Some of us have wandered. Some of us have even walked away. And this passage that we're going to be talking about today is an encouragement. It comes in two parts. One is a warning, a very harsh warning. And two, of an encouragement for us as the church to endure. So if you have your Bibles, open to the book of Hebrews. We're going to start in Hebrews chapter 10. Now last week we talked about how there is an invitation. Right? The writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, I'm inviting you into faith, into hope, into love. This is what the church is about. Let's meet together and let's go ahead and let's remind one another that we need to spur, we need to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not neglect and let us not give up meeting together, meeting with one another. And immediately he goes from this encouragement, invitation, into this incredibly harsh warning. Okay, so we're going to start from verse 26. Hebrews chapter 10, verses, we're going to start from verse 26 and we're going to read to the end of the chapter. Um, if you don't have your Bibles, we do have it on the screen for you here. Verse 26, it says this, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy, on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? 
For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those who treated, who were so treated. Um, for you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the, one coming, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere their souls. You see, what would happen was the Christians during that time, it was really, really hard for them. It was a really difficult um, situation. Christianity was a new thing. It wasn't popular. It wasn't popular to be a Christian. The country didn't say, God bless America. Like, that's not, not, that's not the, the culture, the landscape of what was happening. Christians at that time were being persecuted. They were being beaten. They were being martyred. They were being, um, they were being crucified. So what had happened was Christians during that time, they decided to walk away from their faith. They decided, you know what, I've heard the message of the gospel, and I think it's a little too hard. It's too difficult for me. So they decided to walk away. This is what it says. It says, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. The writer of Hebrews direct, is talking in direct contrast to what he's actually referring to in verse 18 of the same chapter. We didn't cover it last week, but this is what it says. Where there is forgiveness of these, this is verse 18, there is no longer any offering for sin. What the writer is talking about in verse 18 is he's making this argument that Jesus' sacrifice is once and for all the sacrifice. There's a whole system that is set up for the nation of Israel that you have to go and make sacrifices every single year. And Jesus' sacrifice covers all of that. That means you and I as Christians, as believers, we no longer need to offer any animal sacrifices. We no longer need to go to the temple to worship. We no longer need a high priest to go before God on our behalf. This is what he's saying in verse 18. And because of that, there is no longer any offering for sin. Jesus' offering is the offering. It is the best offering. And in direct contrast, he says this, we know this knowledge. We acknowledge the fact that Jesus is, is superior. He is the sacrifice for one, for the entire world. Yet we choose to sin. Yet we choose to walk away from that. Yet we decide, I see what you're saying. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I think I'm going to do something else. This is what the writer is talking about. Knowing this knowledge, there is no longer, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. This warning is harsh. It's harsh. It, it, and especially for us, us young people, more and more people are walking away from the church. More and more young people are walking away from the church. And it is important for us to understand why. 
A lot of people say, I've heard a lot of uh, our young people say, I don't, it's not that, it's not that I don't love Jesus, I don't love the church, right? Um, and young people in this room, I want to let you know, that's bad theology. I'm going to tell you that right now. Because the church is the bride of Christ, which means if you don't love the church, you don't love Jesus. Okay, let me say that once again. The church is the bride of Christ. If you don't love the church, you don't love Jesus. Is the church perfect? No, absolutely not. Right? But Jesus is. Jesus is perfect. The question for us is why were these Christians in particular losing their faith? Why were they walking away? And there are two reasons that I came, I, as I was, I was reading and, and um, I, 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 uh, I guess I thought about um, in reference to what this was talking about. The first thing is what makes it so hard as Christians for, for you and I to continue to believe? It's, it's really not that, um, for some of us, it's the rules and regulations that have come in the church. You can't do this, you should do this, you, you shouldn't do that. But for the Christians, even back then and for us today, it's this fact. Jesus has not yet returned for us. Like the Bible, as uh, Jesus' ministry, what is his one hope, what is his one promise that he gave to us is that one day he will return for you and I and he will make this world right once again. That is our hope as Christians. That is the hope of every believer and Jesus hasn't returned. Obviously, we're sitting here today. Our world is still broken. Our world is still a place that um, needs Jesus. And Christ does not return. This passage goes on and refers to the covenant of Moses. Verse 28, it says this. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. The law of Moses required two or three witnesses to have someone say, you know what, I recognize that this is the God of Abraham, Isaac, our forefathers. I recognize that this is the God who split the Red Sea. I recognize this is the God who led us out of slavery, captivity in Egypt. And I'm going to decide to walk away and create my own idols. This is exactly what the nation of Israel did when they were at Mount Sinai waiting for Moses. The book of Deuteronomy teaches us that the Israelites, while they were waiting for Moses, they were like, this guy is taking way too long. Moses is taking his time. I don't know what he's doing up on that mountain. He's taking too long. What should we do? I have a great idea. Even though God just split the Red Sea, even though God brought us out of slavery in Egypt, Let's go ahead and create a golden calf because this idol is going to be much better than whatever Moses is doing. Moses is probably dead, right? And so, the, and, and, and for us, it's easy for us to really judge um, these Israelites. And it's really even easier for us to judge these Christians in the, that the book of Hebrews is writing to. Because we are on this other side and just we have this complete picture of knowing uh, from the Bible, from God's word. I remember when I was training for uh, my first Olympic distance triathlon. Um, and what they do when you, for this particular triathlon is that they would, you would ride on a ferry and they would boat you out into um, Galveston for about a mile. Um, and I don't know if you guys know, ferries are pretty big boats. And what you had to do is you would go to the edge, and they would say, 
okay, jump off the boat and swim ashore. Okay? Now, um, I, th we have a lot of swimmers in here um, and a lot of people on the swim team. The one consistent thing that I've heard from our swimmers is that open water swim is the worst. Yeah? No? Yeah? Okay, good. My swimmers are over here. Open water swims the worst. Okay, now you couple that with the fact that you're swimming in Galveston. Now, I don't know if you know um, Galveston. You, you can stick your hand and your head into the water at the same time, and you wouldn't be able to see your hand, right? So I'm jumping. And also, this time, it's, it's 6 o'clock in the morning. Um, I trained tremendously long with, uh, with Gabriel Chan. I don't know if you guys know him. He, he, really, uh, he, he really worked me through all this training to prepare me for this triathlon. Six o'clock in the morning, he and I jump off this ferry into the Galveston water. I, wanna, I, I really wish I could say um, I came out, I started swimming, I did really well, got to the shore. Um, I would really love to tell you that. Instead, this is what happened. I immediately started throwing up. The water is so nasty. It is so gross. Later on, I found out that there was a record-setting amount of fecal matter in the water that day. Right? That's what I found out. All of my training, all of everything that I learned, everything that Gabriel taught me, and all of my, my high school students who taught me how to swim, all of that went out. I don't know where it went, but it wasn't in here. I started to panic. I started to freak out. I started, I don't know what's happening. This water tastes gross. I can't see anything. And I immediately started to panic. Right? Imagine you're going into this new experience following this guy named Jesus you'd never heard about before. And all of a sudden, you're hit with persecution. You're hit with people um, stealing or taking your property. You, people are, uh, the Roman government the, the government that is established is taking you out of your home, burning your house down, taking your possessions. It's easy for us to, on this side to say, Christians, you know, you guys saw Jesus. Don't you remember going through that? You saw Jesus. He, he you know, died on the cross and he's now alive somewhere, right? So many of us, we can, we can think about that, but re, in our reality, just like when the pandemic hit, all of a sudden, we jumped into this, like, deep black water that was full of doo-doo, right? That's what we did. That's what we did as an entire nation. And all of a sudden, our faith, it was put into question. Doubts began to rise. Hopelessness, despair, not knowing what direction to go. I remember when I came, my first breath out of the water, I had no idea where the shore was. All I could do was kind of just paddle around. And then immediately I just started throwing up into the water, which is super gross. I know that you guys are like, hey, it's your birthday. You really shouldn't be talking about throwing up. Christians, you and I, the expectation for us this past year, it, there's, there's, no, I, there's no question that doubt, wavering, wandering, that that has it's rampant through all through all of us, and it's no different than the Christians that were experiencing persecution. No different. No wonder why they were walking away. 
No wonder why it was so difficult for them to withstand these trials. No wonder when they, when, when they heard, hey, Jesus is coming back for us. It's going to get better. No wonder why they walked away. And I'm not saying that it's okay. But this warning for us, this, and let, let's get this straight. This is a warning for us as believers, as Christians today. That if we are going to take the message of Jesus so lightly, that his sacrifice is so meaningless to us, we will suffer that wrath that is written here. The second thing, why were Christians walking away? Why were they abandoning? Is this exacting of being persecuted. We read later on about some of the things that happened. But know this. This is a very, very harsh warning for us as Christians. It's a very harsh warning. Because one, we do acknowledge and we know, this is what we're saying, we know that Jesus is better. These are what the Christians do. We know that Jesus is better. I choose to walk away from that. I know that Jesus is better. I choose to walk away from that. Knowing this truth, how can you and I go back? Right? Um, recently, we started uh, moving, or not really moving, but we started uh, transitioning Isaiah into solid foods. Um, Isaiah is about eight months old. He's right now. Um, and one of the things is, one of my favorite things about my son is this. Every time we give him a new food, uh, he makes this face. Right? And it looks like the most disgusting thing that you've ever eaten in your life. Okay, now normally it's, it's like whole wheat bread or it's an apple or it's a strawberry or it's like some vegetables. And so some of you guys may make that face when you eat vegetables now, but that's okay. As an adult, having experienced what maybe a medium rare steak tastes like or knowing what a crawfish boil tastes like or knowing what your favorite, you know, Chinese food, Korean food, um, I, don't, I don't know, whatever, uh, you know, whatever food that you enjoy. Would you ever go back and say, you know what, Jeremy, I think I would prefer a full diet of breast milk. No one would say that, right? And when I put it in that perspective, you're like, Jeremy, that is ridiculous. Why would you even use that as an illustration? That is a terrible illustration. The answer is yes. Yes. Because when we acknowledge and we know the fullness of Jesus' sacrifice and the depth of our sin, the fact that you and I could not have done anything on our own to save ourselves, yet Jesus is the one that sacrificed himself so that you and I have a restored relationship so that this invitation that happens in verses 19 to 25 can actually happen for us. That we are invited into fellowship and community with the living God. Yeah, when you put it in that perspective, and we say, no, I would, I would rather go ahead and live a life of sin. Because I, I just think it's too hard. Or I don't like it. I don't like the rules. I don't like the things that the Bible is teaching me. This is what the passage says. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We need to be persistent in our faith. This is a problem. So how, so, so how do we endure? 
How do we continue to persevere? The solution that is given is to remember, to really remember, to be able to endure. Remember the past trials. Remember the things that you've gone through. Remember so that when the future trials come, that we will be able to continue to endure. Verse 32 says this, but recall the former days. After you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. Sometimes being partners with those so treated. Usually what happens when you graduate from high school is they tell you, hey, now you're prepared for college. Right? So for my college students, how prepared did you guys feel, like on a scale of 1 to 10? Give me some fingers. Yeah, I got zero, I got eight, I got two. What's back there? Seven? What is it? No? Five? Okay. Five. Wow, five. Okay. Pretty good. Our life experiences, the things that we oftentimes go through, it should prepare us for the future. Our parents, what their job is, is to do this. Get us through our, our childhood so that it will prepare us for the future. Um, I, re I remember um, when I first started training for these triathlons. One of the things Gabriel told me was this. You really, really need to work on the transitions. Your transition between the different um, legs are, are very important. So in the triathlon, what you do is you swim first. Uh, because they don't want you to be really tired and then drown, right? So they swim first, and then you bike. Yeah, and, and, and then you bike, and then you run. So it goes from most likely to not succeed to you may not succeed to you can walk to the finish line, right? So that's how triathlons work. I remember one of the first things Gabriel told me was, one, you need to really work on your transitions, okay? Because it's really important because you're going from being completely wet to hopping onto a bike to going to starting to run. And one of the things that I didn't listen to him about was this particular piece of advice, right? So my, first, my very first uh, triathlon was a really, really short one. Um, and to say I was unprepared is a very, uh, very big understatement, a right? very big understatement. I remember uh, especially the transition from bike to run. That one was really, really hard for me because when you're swimming, you're like, okay, yeah, swim, 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 cool, cool, cool. And like, let me just go ahead get on the bike. Why was it really hard? One, um, because when you come off of your bike, one, your socks are wet uh, from your swim. And if you ever, I have, a, I have a thing about having wet socks. I don't know if anybody else enjoys that feeling. I, I really hate it. All right. So uh, transitioning from there, having wet socks, biked for about, you know, I think it was about 10 miles or 12 miles, uh, and then having wet socks and then having that, trying to get those off and then putting on your running shoes. And then you continue to run for about, you know, three miles with wet socks and wet shoes. Um, and in the middle of my transition, one of the things is, Gabriel said, make sure you rehydrate and make sure you eat something that, so you can make that transition um, very smoothly. I did not listen, and immediately my legs started cramping up. 
Now, those are all things that you're probably like, like Jeremy, those are very easy things. You probably should have remembered those things, right? Let me assure you, the next time I got to the next race, I remembered all of the things. I remembered all of the things. I had all my clothes laid out. I had a new pair of socks, and I, had it my ma and I made sure that my shoes were really dry. Unfortunately, the next race, um, it rained, so my shoes were wet and my socks were wet again. <laughs> it's easy for us to forget the past. It's easy for us to forget the things that we've gone through. Or maybe you and I sometimes, because we've grown up around this area, we are, we, we've heard the message, hey, you really haven't gone through anything hard. You haven't gone through any trials. You've never been persecuted. You've never had someone rip you out of your home, beat you, and say, renounce your faith. Yeah, we haven't experienced those things. But you have in your high schools, growing up, there have been times your faith has been tested. And, and I can speak for all of us this past year and a half, all of us, our faith has been tested. As we look back upon this past year and a half, are we thinking about, oh, this was such a terrible experience? Or are we thinking, I have learned from this experience to endure. My faith has grown stronger because of it. Do we take the time to remember these, these hardships, the difficult times? The times that we've really struggled, the times that we've really doubted, the times that we've really felt like very distant or very far away from God? And do we use those things to encourage us, just as the writer in Hebrew says? The second thing for us is to remember that Jesus is faithful. No matter what is happening in our world, Jesus is faithful. His promises will never change. It means that if Jesus says he's going to come back for us, he will. It means that if Jesus says, hey, through your hardships, through your difficulties, you will be rewarded in heaven, it means that you will. If it, it, it means that when Jesus says, remain faithful, abide in me, you will always be with me. I will never, ever leave you. I will never forsake you. No one can take you out of my Father's hand. That means all of that is true. And when you and I remember those things, the things experienced in here, in this verse, being imprisoned, someone plundering your property, being beaten, being laughed at, being ridiculed for your faith. All of these things is because we know that Jesus, ultimately, Jesus' faithfulness means that Jesus is better than no matter anything that we can experience in our world today. Verse 35, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Through all of these things, we remember that Jesus is better. The hardships, the trials, the suffering the painful conversations, the friendships lost, the broken relationships because of our faith. Why would we go back? Why? This is a very clear warning for us as the church to think, to not just think like, hey, it was better back in, I don't know, 
Give a year, 2018, 2017. Maybe some of you really enjoyed 2020. I want you to think about this. What is the one thing in your life um, that has so drastically improved the quality of your life that you would never go back? What is the one thing in your life that has so drastically improved the quality of your life that you'll never go back? I'll go first. LASIK, right? Uh, I started wearing glasses in the third grade, and I remember losing them on purpose because my dad, this is what my dad told me. Jeremy, you're um, a boy who has a lot of energy and you like to run around, and so if we give you some kind of like thinned frame glasses, we're afraid that you're going to break them. Or, you're, you know, you're probably going to, you know, yeah, mostly just break them. So instead, I got these incredibly thick frame glasses. Right? Um, talk about plastic. It was like this really thick plastic, and that went all the way around. Um, and I hated them. So I've been wearing glasses since the third grade. And then right before the pandemic hit, actually, I got LASIK done. Um, and, okay, so th there's a lot of controversy between procedures. Okay, but for me, this has been awesome. It's been so great. I would never, ever wear glasses again just because I would want, uh, be, you know, if I had a choice, I would never wear glasses again. Never, never. And when I think about going back to that kind of understanding of who Jesus is, I would never go back to that. I would never go back to that. Why would we go back? Because it, it just doesn't make sense. Why would we go back when we know for a fact that Jesus is better? When we have Jesus, when we're connected with, with Jesus, when we're in community, when we're gathered together as a church, encouraging one another, it's so much better. Why would we go back? So how do we continue to endure? How do we continue to remain faithful? The passage ends like this. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere their souls. First, the writer of Hebrews says this, we, the church, we are not those people. The fact that you're sitting here, the fact that you're tuning in online, the fact that you're continuing to follow Jesus in this, through this pandemic, the fact that you still care enough to wake up at 11 o'clock to get to church, okay? We are a people of faith. The invitation is there. Let us continue to gather together, ne not neglecting one another, to encourage one another towards love and good deeds. We are that people of faith. A lot of times it's just a matter of telling and reminding ourselves that this is who we are. This is who we are. There's sometimes, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a difference between how you feel and what you know to be true. Sometimes. Not always. But a lot of times, how we feel about something, we know that isn't true. When I talk to a lot of my students, sometimes they'll say, I feel far from God. I feel distant. I haven't been reading my Bible. I haven't been able to do these things. And the feeling of distance is there. But we know that God is always there. God is constant. God has never left us. God has never forsaken us. So that feeling and the knowledge, those two things are separate. And this encouragement is this. We are not of those people who shrink away. Fort Bend Community Church, we are not of those people who shrink away. 
Instead, we are, the, we are those who have faith and persevere. That is who we are. So first and foremost, know this church, that this is who we are. We are a church that has faith and that we persevere. Secondly, I want you to think back upon your trials, all of the things that have happened. What has brought you through it? Yeah, maybe some of it is of your own will. Some of it is your own endurance. Some of it is of your own efforts. But ultimately, we understand because of who God is, it is him who brought us through. It is Jesus that has been able to carry us through. Next, remember that when Jesus says something, he's going to do it. His promises, his covenants, they are eternal. And he will always, always, always fulfill them. Remember God's faithfulness. Take Jesus' words, take Jesus' message seriously. If he says, I will be coming back, live in a way, in this way, knowing that Jesus will return for us. If Jesus says, love your neighbor, live in that way. If Jesus says, don't neglect gathering together, live in this way. If Jesus says, spur one another on towards love and good deeds, live in this way. Let's take Jesus' message seriously because we know that his word is true. And his word is always faithful. And Jesus is always faithful. And lastly, remember that no matter what happens, because of God's faithfulness, no matter the trials, no matter the hardships, no matter what, the good times, the bad times, that Jesus is always, always better. Jesus is better. Jesus is, is the one thing. Yeah. No matter how hard this past year has been for you, no matter if you've forgotten all of the things um, that, you know, all of your training, all of the trials, it doesn't matter, all of those things. This one fact is true, okay? This is a fact, that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And my hope for us as a church is that we will always continue to remember this. And that our faith as a church will continue to grow. Pray with me, church. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trials, in those times where we've really gone astray, where doubt has seeped in, Lord, that you have continued to remind us of who you are. Lord, I, I, right now, I, I just want to pray for endurance. Um, some of us have been really... Um, we've, we felt so far away from you, felt so distant, felt like our faith hasn't grown, hasn't moved, felt like our, our faith has even almost gone away. Lord, will you continue to remind us, draw us near to you, remind us of your goodness, remind us of your faithfulness, remind us, God, that you are better, and that your promises will endure, and that you will always fulfill your word. So God, continue to be with us, encourage us, allow us to draw near to you. And God, we thank you and we love you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.